Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, all you theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, and welcome back to a special episode of Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. I'm your host, Matt Koplick, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts, and it's not really a false start so much as a uh, little nugget of uh, treasure for you guys because we are not coming back with our next series just yet. I'll tell you what that is at the end of this episode, but it is a special episode where we get to talk to a wonderful writer. She's got a new book coming out in October called The Trouble with Drowning, but you might best know her from two iconic scripts she's written, one for film, the classic remake Freaky Friday, and the musical of 2007 for many of you, Legally Blonde. Please welcome Heather Hawk. Hi, Heather. Hello. How are you? And thank you for pronouncing my last name right. No one does. Well, I wouldn't uh, be doing my job correctly if I didn't go down 10 different YouTube rabbit holes and confirmed on three different videos how to say your last name because... Bach. Like Bach with an H. Like Bach with an H. As someone whose last name is Koplik, uh, I know uh-huh. how frustrating it can be when someone just wings it. So I tried to try yes, to be professional today. That's the last professional thing I'm going to do on this episode. So here we okay. go. Um, right. Heather, question for you. As the writer of, as the co-writer of Freaky Friday and the writer of Legally Blonde the Musical, what is it like to walk around every day knowing you're iconic? Oh, well, I do not feel it most days. <laughs> Almost, you know, I think this is the truth. Everyone's living their life. Um, mm. I do very often get reminded of the joy that it still brings people, mm-hmm. you know, and it'll be like a random someone will just say, Oh, I caught it on TV or I, you know, it made me laugh or I, you know, my, my daughter's doing the show Mm -hmm. and it just, it's so thrilling to know that it still goes on. Absolutely. Uh, So how did you get your start into writing? What was sort of your channel into that? I was a journalism major 
And I didn't really think that the entertainment industry was available to me because I grew up in Iowa and Colorado. So it just wasn't a viable plan. You know, I didn't know anybody, but I was always a movie freak, always a Broadway show. You know, I just, I loved, loved it all. And so, but I went into journalism. So I worked for the New York Times Denver Bureau. Um, that was my first job. And I also did improv comedy with a troupe um, for four years with comedy sports in Denver. And my favorite game to play was Broadway musical. Wait, <laughs> Broadway, what, what, what game is that? You just, you have to create a Broadway musical or you have to name Broadway musicals? Yep. You get a, you get a topic, you know, mm-hmm. and then you do a show in five minutes but you get to like break into a little song and yeah. it was just so fun and I just loved I would just be excited when we got that suggestion what so what are some of your favorite musicals oh I have so many I mean I grew up kind of more of a movie musical person to be honest because I didn't have as much access but like seeing Grace was one of the most defining moments of my life of course um, I was the last my cousin and I were the last two tickets to sit in the very front row and it just blew my mind mm. and um, tried to cut my sheets up in color them with black Sharpie so I could have Sandy's slutty pants. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Little Shop of Horrors. Like in high school, I had the, you know, album and everyone's listening to Bon Jovi and I was listening to Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, um, so my soul you know, sister, Heather, please. Yeah. <laughs> I've always loved musicals and you know, when I first was approached to do Legally Blonde, I was a little bit dubious because I'm like, what do I know? Mm-hmm. But my mother is such a, she's like a living Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. Like if she was here, she would just, hello, Matt, how are you? I'm Muriel. <laughs> and she's just, no. so I know all the songs without knowing that I'd seen them. I mean, you know? that's sort of, that's the beauty of, um, you know, when theater is introduced to you so young, you, you grow up with, with it part of just as your life and not like as an education. So when people yeah. ask you, what do you know? It's like, well, I don't know. And then you realize you actually know a lot because it's just ingrained in you. Yeah. And it's everywhere. Yeah. How and did, I how think... did you get a, oh, sorry, you were going to say but something. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, how, how did you get approached to do Legally Blonde? They, Hal Luftig and um, Kristen Kasky, Mike Isaacson, they were searching. They really wanted a woman book writer and there aren't that many. And they went and saw Freaky Friday and there was something about the voice that they thought could be a good fit. So I went to this lunch just sort of dubious and I was intrigued because I loved Legally Blonde and mm. I related to the character and I, I I thought it was a fun concept, but I was, like I said, just a little bit dubious. But when I met them, I was like, oh, they're my people. Mm. Like we were hysterically laughing within like five minutes. I was just like, these are my people. And I knew intuitively this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So with this kind of project, because both Freaky Friday and Legally Blonde are adaptations, there's, you know, a story. That's what that people, I love. I love adaptations. Yeah. And they're really difficult to do. People don't realize that. Um, I want to talk, we're, because this is a Broadway podcast, we will be talking about Legally Blonde quite a bit. But uh, you are mistaken if it. you think I'm not going to be bringing up Freaky Friday because that, I mean... I'm not a scientist, but I do think it's scientifically proven to be the best of the Freaky Fridays, and I've seen all of them. Uh, yes, and I, and as my listeners know, I'm not a I'm not an easy flatterer, so I I stand I stand by. No, that I just statement. read your piece on um, 
the shark broke or the shark is broken oh shark is broken and yes. you, you gotta understand i am like the biggest jaws fan mm-hmm. i can have like four hour conversations about jaws mm-hmm. and so i'm totally intrigued but i was really interested in what you had to say and i i love jaws as well it's the re- so uh there's another thing i had seen recently and i'll be writing a review for that shortly uh another musical adaptation of a movie and it will shall rename remain nameless right now but let's just say uh it's not a creative adaptation of the movie it is pretty much the movie on stage with some songs plugged in and it bothers me because something like legally blonde i think really works so well because it's this great balance of things that we know from the movie and love that we know work and then Mm -hmm. all these surprises as well that keep us engaged and give the musical or reason for existing it's sort of like um uh you know like uh in titanic people always joke well you know how it's going to end what's the point but the magic trick is you don't know how you're going to get there and i think the best adaptations do that you sort of know what the outcome is going to be if you love the previous material but with an adaptation it's like well let's throw in some surprises so it's not quite how you expect it and that's what i love with the Legally Blonde musical. I think it's such a wonderful balance. And there are certain things that you dug into that I thought the movie did well, but uh, you know, you found some deeper meanings in there. I lo- there was one change you made where um, several. So, so many. you only so made one I mean, change. There's only one in the entire thing. Like, <laughs> what if it was illegally blonde? But um one of the changes you made that I loved was uh the way that uh, Vivian and Warner both witness Callahan assaulting Elle. They had more power, right? Absolutely. So much more power. And Vivian clocked it for what it truly was, whereas Warner did not. And it was one of those uh, subtle moments, that nuanced moments that you rarely get in musicals, especially one as big and as bubbly as Legally Bond. So I really loved that change. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I mean... But, and so, like, the, the story beat is still there, but how you do it is slightly different. I think that's so wonderful. Um, how was your, what was sort of your process heading into it, writing uh, the musical? Yeah, it it was exactly, that was the big challenge, is we have to honor why people are so obsessed with her still today and mm-hmm. why people love the movie so much. But there's no point to doing it if it didn't bring that other layer. And honestly, the biggest change that I saw that I was excited about was the relationship between Emmett and Elle. Mm. I mean, they're almost non-existent. I mean, they talk on a park bench. Yeah. And he's Luke Wilson. And so therefore they're meant to be, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And also the Warner, like the two actors looked interchangeable. Like it just (laughs) wasn't like Luke Wilson is your big, I'm Mm going to grow as human. Okay. Um, so there was a real opportunity to really add a lot of depth to it mm. and reinvention. And just like, you know, anything I want to work on, I just want to remember that I'm going to be an audience member mm-hmm. and what do I want to see? Yeah, that's, I think that's always the number one thing to think about is what would entertain me. And then you me. hope, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you hope that it entertains others. Uh, so by expanding on the L Emmett romance do you remember where it came from the idea that he's the one that sort of helps her sort of buckle down and study and and become 
really serious about law school? Well, I think it was just sort of inevitable if if he was going to be really intrinsic in her bettering herself and finding Mm -hmm. herself. And of course, he doesn't do it for her, but he is a great force in her life. Just like anyone, you align yourself with people who make you better people and bring out the best version of you. And I think that was kind of what we dialed in on is that Emmett was someone who was going to see her for who she was and not make the assumption that everyone else did. Yeah. And give her a chance. And they were both such um, unlikely uh, cohorts and and connected because they were both kind of misfits in this world. Yeah. What I love about the change, and I talked about it on our episode about Legally Blonde. We covered Legally Blonde about a year ago on the podcast. We did a series called Underestimated, which was about shows that uh, came to Broadway and whether they had some success or not, they got more success after their Broadway run, which I think yeah. is very true for Legally Blonde. I mean, you guys Absolutely. were huge in London and you're produced all the time now in schools and, you know, regional theaters and so much of the scores become, uh, you know, highly acclaimed in the theater community. But something that I said that I really loved about the Emmett L change, because when uh, sometimes I'll go on on the webs to read opinions And some people have points. Some people just have a computer. And which is, I think, the politest way to say it. And something that bothered me about uh, a few people who have had an issue with the change, they said, well, I don't like that he helps her because she should do it alone. And I always hated that mentality. And what I loved about uh, Emmett helping Elle was something about our country, about America, that people think if you don't do it alone... You didn't really do it. You know, like if, right. uh, we're told to take only I can fix it. I alone. Exactly. Exactly. The only thing that people will agree to, you know, community helping is, you know, child rearing. It takes a village, except now it's like, don't tell me how to raise my child, even though it takes a village. Double edged sword. But I love the fact that just because she had someone who believes in her, who sort of gave her the push doesn't mean she didn't earn her success. That's right. Yeah. She's still herself and the intelligence comes from her the way she views law comes directly from her but he you know i i I don't think that it's ever weak to ask for help or to need help and i love that l still gets to the same place uh and it's it's a double whammy she gets to the same place she does in the movie and it uh she gets it with the help of emma which also then strengthens the romantic plot with him so it's just a wonderful change that i think you guys did and it's done in a musical sequence, so it makes it a musical. Exactly. And I'm sorry, I, I would argue that almost anyone who has any success, you had someone along the way that helped you. Absolutely. Period. I mean, I don't care what we're talking about, whether it's heart surgery or writing a musical or fixing a car or whatever. There's someone who was a mentor for you and someone who opened a door for you and made you better. Yeah. That's what that relationship was. Yeah. And I think it's so wonderful. And it also then has this wonderful nuanced ending with Warner where you didn't make him the total jackass he is in the movie, um, which, you know, is also such something you didn't have to do because it would have been so easy for the audience in that theater to sort of, you know, boo Warner because he gets his come up and L dumps him and all this other stuff. But he also has like his own mini journey in that show. And when he comes back to propose to L, she recognizes that he's trying to go back to what he's, what he knows and what he's familiar with. She goes, 
She goes, mm-hmm. I've just come so far the last year. And I'm so excited that you get to have that same journey now without me. Go do yeah. that. And I, th- I, it's a very humane way to treat that character who didn't necessarily need to or in other ways deserve it. And I, I don't know. I just think that's very smart, humane writing was something that not a lot of people do. Well, that's Nell Benjamin who wrote, my answer is thank you, but no. Mm-hmm. It's very, very um, kind. You yeah. know, it, it wasn't, it could have been snarky. It could have been a yeah. a bitch slap and that kind of a moment, but it wasn't, that wasn't, that's not who she was. Part of the joy of her and why she made me a better person is because she does see the good in everybody. Yeah. Is a universal um, L quality that is just really wonderful to live with that. Yeah. She has knives in her back pocket, but she only brings them out for very special occasions and she doesn't stab. She just does doesn't a little paper. Cut. Yes, exactly. It's She's more got sort a of you in her pocket to retaliate. Yeah. Um, but that's about just, you know, standing on your own. I, I, I don't want to make her a pushover either. No, she's no, she's she's tough. She's got to be. I mean, anyone who has who makes it out in this world at any point has to have yeah. a little toughness in order to make it. But, you know, we right. see that she she isn't as you said, she's not a pushover. She's not super gullible just because she believes in positivity doesn't mean that she's blind to when people can be shitty because uh, then you have the opposite of that, which is, you know, toxic positivity, which is, I mean, blinders on because you. It, you can't see the truth of, you know. She doesn't not see bad stuff. She'll see it and then she'll try to make it better. And I think that is that is actual positivity and not toxic positivity. Um, what was a particular challenge for you when approaching Legally Blonde? Mostly a little bit what we talked about before. It's just really wanting to get that sweet spot right of mm. familiarity with originality and I mean, I honestly sometimes think my naivete on the whole project probably served me really well. Mm. I think sometimes the more you know, the more intimidated you can be. Mm-hmm. And I just brought kind of that L Woods like happiness and joy to it. And mm-hmm. and I almost like I had no idea the New York Times review would matter so much. I just, mm-hmm. you know, all these things I just didn't understand until it was it had happened. Yeah. Um so I was like one mistake I I completely made is I was using my screenwriting screenwriting knowledge and and logic like mm-hmm. you could change sets like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I was like kind of oblivious to the form a bit, but you know I had such a great team and we had such a good time and um, it was just such a joy. It wasn't always a joy, but um, it really was. Yeah, I mean I need artistic endeavor is not going to be sunshine and rainbows 24 seven when everyone cares so much and wants to make something good. There's going to butt heads from time to time, but that's, that's just the fact of the matter. Is there a particular uh, line in the script that you come back to every now and again and go like, yeah, I did that. That's a good one. Like a certain joke. What I'm most proud of and most proud of the Gloria Steinem. Hmm. When the Playboy like, Bunny line. Oh, is that what you see? Because I'm Gloria Steinem, circa 1963, manifesting for her feminist manifesto. I was a Playboy Bunny. It just was like such a great link, mm-hmm. you know, and just was such a wonderful opportunity. Um, 
that I, I'm always really, really proud. I will say that it went over better in San Francisco than anywhere else. Mm. San Francisco went crazy for that. And then in New York, people weren't as nuts about it. And I was, I mean, it went over always well, but in like San Francisco, people went insane and it was so satisfying. Yeah. I, I have watched a boot like from the San Francisco run. I don't know when in the run it is, but I think the show is pretty frozen. And I got to say that audience is going wild for it. Um, That I think hurt us in, in the end. How how well received it was in San Francisco? It was so well received. People started showing up in, you know, dressed up as Al and drag mm-hmm. and people were having, and it was like setting some records, I remember. Yeah. People and loved it. it. And people, you know, I really believe that people treated Legally Blonde like pe- they treated Elle when she showed up at Harvard. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's a shame because it is a good musical. And I think that... Because I was I was in high school in New York at the time, and I'm very much you know always been invested in the theater scene. And yeah. I remember when you guys were in San Francisco, and the buzz was such that everyone was like, "Oh, this could be like the show of the season." And we'd already had Great Gardens and Spring Awakening out, and then I don't know what exactly it was. It was it came in, and I mean, there's always been a bit of a stigma on movies adapted into musicals, and. As I mentioned, there are some shows that keep that stigma alive. And then there are shows like Legally Blonde that do kind of buck the trend. And I don't know. I think there, I want to say that was what kind of uh, did it in at the Tonys. But then goddamn Mary Poppins gets in there instead. People still shout shenanigans about it to this day, which they should. I feel I, like it's really interesting. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Ben Brantley at the New York Times said that my book was vulgar. Yeah, he did say that. Vulgar. Vulgar. Because you make a JetBlue reference? Because. What is vulgar about Legally Blonde? I literally have no idea what he's talking about. There's nothing. Listen, there are times when I would agree with Ben Brantley and then other times where I'm like, did we see the same show? And or it's like, I understand you didn't like the show, but like, you're not talking about what's there. You're talking about what you saw in your head or like what your preconceived notions of it are uh, it's, a, it's about what well, the perception of people are going to think i'm stupid yeah if i like this um show about a blonde woman and you know i'm sorry she was an incredible post-feminist hero and the way that she was discounted mm-hmm. is is so speaks to the kind of just in, in inherent misogyny that exists absolutely it's women's stories well, it's something that's interesting right now with the Barbie movie, because uh, I feel Ugh. like there are a lot of parallels to that. Yes, right? Yes, yes. I was sobbing. I wrote a letter to the editor uh, to the New York Times. They printed mm-hmm. my letter about Barbie. I need to see that. Um, yeah, and I, I, I was so upset about the review that they gave it, which wasn't good enough. And no. I know I'm working at my own <laughs> bullshit with the New York Times mm-hmm. um, and their critics, but it just wasn't as... I was like, literally, she wrote, next time, I hope Greta really gets to shine and gets full reign in her imagination. I'm like, what movie did you see? Yeah. Yeah. What it's, are you talking it, about? Yeah. the I remember the review for The Times when it came out. Like, it wasn't Bad. it wasn't negative. It was sort but of it like. it wasn't good. It was like muted. It was sort of like. it was it, That was exactly what he did with our show. It's like, yeah. here's some great things, but keep in yeah. mind. And I feel like it's. I was literally just talking to somebody about this today about another show where 
there are some works out there that are feminist stories written by men and they're so simplistic to me because it just sort of decries that feminism is one thing listeners can you know take on uh, on their own account what shows i'm talking about but uh the idea that you know feminism equals a woman has to be outside of any kind of relationship or outside of any kind of femininity she has to always wear pants she has to be strong she can't need any man and i mean it's just so singular and what i like about legally blonde and barbie and what they share in dna is like they are feminist through their strength and independence and their intelligence but they're also very feminine you know and unapologetically so and i think that is sort of um where we see a different not different kind all sexism is sexism but a facet of sexism where it is i'm all for you know women being strong but don't be too girly about it it's like well what are we doing here right and i thought it was all about letting people be who they are yeah there's just there can be such a rigidity around roles now that you know frankly is part of why anyway don't i don't know no please 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 this is but this is something that's in your whole uh milieu with this and freaky friday and and so many other things just uh you know with think about like enid right and legally blonde and how you know she's not impervious to uh judging a book by its cover she sees l and she thinks like what are you doing you know we you're setting women back here by showing up all in pink and being hyper girly and feminine but l proves to her that she can be just as smart and just as tough as she is but she can do it in her own style and enid accepts that and they become cohorts and equals and understanding the same thing with vivian and it's I think it's a wonderful way to understand that, you know, it's it's sort of how um people are kind of finally realizing that the not like other girl trope is also very sexist because by saying, oh, you're so special, you're not like other girls. It's like, oh, so you're saying all other women are trash then because I'm not like them. Right. Screw that. Right. I mean, the whole thing is that we're supposed to get to a place where people just get to be who they are. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was kind of the goal of of the kind of neoliberal ideology of just let people be who they are and i see such rules on everything that it's that's part of why i don't like that structured thought process and that's why you know neither do i neither do i and and there's a fluidity to our identity just because we are a certain kind of way in this moment we can change as you know the more of life experience we get and people we meet someone once said to me like oh don't you find such and such show problematic and remember that word guys it's going to be a a wonderful um treasure word later but uh, problematic because of this character who does this thing and i'm like you're aware that most good stories are about somebody making a bad decision 90% 90% of the time learning and then starting to make a right decision. That's and, right. And that's the redemptive arc of our protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. And L goes to law school for, you know, a reason that ends up changing. You know, people may not love the reason she goes to law school, but what does it matter? It's her choice. And she ends up changing her way as she learns more about herself along the way. That's what makes it a good story. And on that note, Heather, we got to do two things. I want to now talk about Freaky Friday. But before we do that, we got to take a quick break. Really, 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Now that I'm on a network, I always have to take breaks so Papa can get like his $5 for the month. Uh, yeah. So may I ask how Freaky Friday came into your path? I moved from Denver, um, which I was in yesterday. I saw Duran Duran at Red Rocks. <laughs> um, I'm from Colorado. Anyway, um, I moved from Denver to LA to become a screenwriter. I went through a really terrible divorce. Um, so there's something about the elf story too, that mm-hmm. I really relate to with being dumped and still wanting your life to work out um, and put it, keep moving on. Um, so I kind of put together like after this tragedy befell my life, mm-hmm. what do I love? And I loved comedy. I love writing and I love movies so I decided to become a screenwriter and move out here. And I won the Walt Disney Fellowship with a script based on my divorce called I Used to Be an Honor Student. I wanted to do like a Nora Ephron, Younger Woman's Heartburn. Mm-hmm. And I won. And my first assignment was Freaky Friday. Because I wrote a very dark, like Heathers-esque uh, comedy set of a sorority mm-hmm. that got a lot of attention. And at one point there was people who wanted to do it and blah, blah, blah. But because of that, that script that I wrote called not cap and material, I got freaky Friday. Mm-hmm. So how familiar were you with freaky Friday when you were assigned it? Did you know the book, the movie? I read the book when I was little, loved it. And I, we went down to Des Moines. It was a big deal when it came out. I remember it clearly. It was the, that day I got a two stuffed monkeys that hug around that you wrap their arms around each other and they can hold on to each other. Mm-hmm. But we did not like the movie, my family. Yeah. We were sort of worst a little bit of snobs sometimes, but it just was, you know, oh, it's crazy to do the laundry, you know, yeah. and it just was a car got cut in half. And you know, it was just one of those dis when Disney was making those real stinker, you know, movies yeah. in the 70s that were just just like that darn cat and now kind of have their own charm, but they're actually terrible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, there, there's definitely a charm to them because they're so messy and and odd. I mean, Mary Rogers also famously hated the movie as well. So you're in good company. But she loved um, the the script. The, she loved the movie, the new one. Yeah. And she wrote Eisner, Michael Eisner, and they forwarded it to the creative team. And I started a friendship with her. And then I got to write Freaky Monday, this book, why novel with her. That's wonderful. Uh, so 
having read the book, having seen the movie, not liking it. Although I would be uh, sad if we did not at least acknowledge that Bar- uh, Barbara Harris, cinema icon. Love her. Love her. Love her. You know, movie's not very good, but she's great. And Jodie Foster does a very nice job. But um, it is an odd movie. The 70s were a weird decade for Disney, for sure. But yeah, and there was such an opportunity to talk about women's roles, you know, and how they changed so much. Absolutely. So it was a complete made sense to me um, why they that should be remade. You yeah. know, it, it there's more going on than just doing laundry. One thousand percent. And I mean, that's what I love is um, in, you know, te- Tess is is the mom, right? It's Tess. Yeah. Anna. And Tess and Anna. Anna. Tess and Anna. Yeah. Tess is a professional, a working professional. She's a therapist and, you know, runs her own household in a, you know, a very unique way, which I love. When you were approaching the adaptation. What was one of the first things you did want to address? Was it was it the fact that, you know, there's more to womanhood than just laundry? Yeah, was that, I yeah. wanted mom to work. Mm. And I wanted, you know, when she was a therapist, she thought she knew it all. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wanted that to pull the... And, you know, everything I do kind of has a musicality to it. So the fact that she was in a band. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted it to be that she was going to open for Gwen Stefani. Like, had a chance to open at this... That was the whole goal mm-hmm. at one point um and it you know it just had its 20 year anniversary uh and there was a big article in the Re- hollywood reporter about it and the director completely mischaracterized i was i was so devastated and i i probably shouldn't talk about it but he said that he came up like with the whole uh band thing and i'm like i literally have the script hmm. i'm sorry that's no that's sucky uh I mean, he made it better with his vision. I'm not trying yeah. to deny, but like, he's like, yeah, she worked for the paper and she wanted to get an interview with Gwen Stefani. I'm like, no. Well, at least he remembered Gwen Stefani, I guess. But I mean, yeah, people, I mean, I don't know him. We we can cut this whole bit if you want, but. Uh, it just hurt. It just. Yeah. No, true. that does hurt. I mean, I think a lot of people, when something works and is beloved and you look back on it, you know, people always want to take credit for be the hero yeah and and even if it's like you know you look uh in the reality the situation was oh yes i made this one adjustment 20 years later becomes i had the whole idea and Mm -hmm. that but that also just goes against the grain of what collaboration is supposed to be which i which bugs me but that aside uh was it your idea also to um get rid of the dad because the dad has always been a part of it uh yeah 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 when i when i I remember that scene, writing that scene, you know, where they, they kind of accept each other and they, mm-hmm. the toast. Yep. I remember crying. I like wrote, wrote it and I was crying. It was a really cathartic thing. Yeah. I, f- I felt that one, you know, but yeah, not having dad was important, you know? Absolutely. And then it, it creates a whole new emotional stake that she's getting remarried and there's a wedding coming and a rehearsal dinner. Cause in the seventies, first of all, in the book, uh, while the book is very charming, there are no real stakes. Like there's no kind of um, ticking clock about any event or some sort. Yeah. So they have that in the 70s movie, but it's like a water skiing event of some sort. I know. Yeah. Water skiing. I forgot that. It's, it's like a it's like a word jumble. It's they like yeah. pick things out of a hat and they're like, here you go. It's a water skiing event. Right. Um. But no, there. this was, you know, less action heavy and more uh, character and emotion based, which was uh 
lovely and it does offer this wonderful uh heart to the movie i don't know if you remember this speaking of the new york times your movie actually got oscar buzz for a while because when when it came out the Times said the performance jamie lee curtis is giving is the kind of yeah should be oscar nominated and i think that was a.o scott who i tend to agree with yeah he's he doesn't always get it right for me but again even yeah and again even if i disagree i'll read it and i'll go i see i see how you got here if i disagree with someone i want to at least know how they got there if i can't see that then i'm like i don't know what we're doing here but yeah then also jamie lee curtis was a very famously last minute addition to the movie correct yeah it was going to be annette benning um up until the very end she was filming that kevin costner movie all summer um uh and no it, it came and went like no one really <laughs> it never made a big dent but she yeah. had been filming that all summer and so i think she just didn't want to do it and then yeah. of course the director said it was because the script was so terrible i'm like oh but she literally dropped out when the script was the shooting script that mm-hmm. is this acclaimed so was it it just doesn't yeah. make sense you know yeah. probably just you know wanted a little more time to relax after having to deal with costner don't we all yeah don't we and all? she even told andrew gum with the producer uh i'm so glad it was jamie she was better yeah it was it, it was a truly perfect choice when uh jamie lee curtis came in i mean so like obviously with filmmaking and uh with stage you have your scripts, but still things happen sometimes with an actor or yeah. energy or sometimes things, you know, maybe a day of shooting has to get rearranged. You have to sometimes make changes on the fly. Uh, yeah. Did anything like that happen with Freaky Friday? Um, You know, she she added a lot of physicality to it, like of spinning over the couch. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's just such a great physical comedian. And what's so funny, too, is that my mom has been told her whole life she looks like Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. So the fact that like the mom that I wrote looks like you know to the point that my mom is a joke like if you tell her you look like jamie lee curtis she says oh it's the body Mm. (laughs) yeah Yeah. um and miss lohan do we you know i i think she's doing better i mean she's got a kid now and um she's she was so good in the movie she was She, she was so charming i'm i I knew she struggled a lot, you know, I'd heard stories, um, but oh, it's yeah. just doing well. So, but I mean, I'm not even talking about her and her harsh years because so good. In it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, so I was, I was 13 when that movie came out. And then the next year was confessions of a teenage drama queen and mean girls. And I have taught theater to kids in, in the past. And I'm a millennial teaching Gen Z years and all this stuff. And I remember when the mean girls musical was coming out, and I was teaching them. They were asking if I was going to go see it. I, and I knew I was eventually. But I was like, I said, I don't know. The movie is so important to me. And they go, why? And I I had to take a beat. And I said, it was summer of 2003. Freaky Friday was coming out. And Lindsay Lohan had returned to us after Parent Trap. And I right. said to them, you don't understand how important she was to my generation for like years. Really? And it started with Freaky Friday because Parent Trap was so huge. And then, you know, she kind of took some time, you know, to do smaller projects and and mature from 11 to 15. And then I just remember when the trailer for Freaky Friday came out, 
first of all, looked like a blast and it was a blast. But I just remember we all saw that Lindsay was in it and we were like, she has returned. And really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it didn't feel like that way to you guys because you were knee deep in it. But to the to her core audience, it felt like she had returned to us after doing, you know, two TV movies in between Parent Trap and that. That's great. And, And to come back with such a a uh, notable title in a movie that was so good that everyone enjoyed. So it wasn't, if it, it would be one thing if the movie weren't good and it was like, oh yeah, well, Lindsay's back, but whatever. But the movie was so good. So it really kind of set her up with then Mean Girls coming in. And though that's that one-two punch. And we acknowledge Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, similar to you with the 70s Freaky Friday. It's like, we like it because it's a mess, but it, it's not, actually good in the way that freaky friday and mean girls are but yeah. no the whole her whole renaissance started with you guys and that whole movie and that and what she was um able to do in it and she is so good in it and jamie is so good in it it's just a wonderful film i was gonna ask more like creative questions about it but i'm just fangirling so i apologize that's oh, not good not good journalism on my, right. my part heather um thank you <laughs> well so i okay so i write myself and i just finished uh, a script uh, this summer for a play and for my listeners who are also writers what mm-hmm. is some advice you would give just in terms of the actual process of it like what is your process how do you get yourself going yeah it's it's so fluid I I find it really almost like therapy to talk about writing because it's such a strange animal mm-hmm. and there's there's so many rules that change all the time for me personally, like why I have a great writing day and why I suck and should fold sweaters at the gap. I mean, it's just so interesting how much it changes on a day-to-day basis. Um, I think the biggest thing I recommend to people is to read a ton. Mm. I read a ton. I see a lot. I just think it's inspiring to to be in touch with that and to um, always be inspired Mm -hmm. to want to do that for yourself and to surround yourself with people who inspire this this storytelling. And just when you approach life as a writer, it's a secret. It's this wonderful gift because everything can be potentially interesting. Even mindless, horrible, weird details of your life when you look at it from a writer's perspective and just being really observational and in, interested and um, finding the comedy and where there really shouldn't be any. I mean, that I think is like a gift of you don't have to wait in line at the DMV. You have an opportunity at the DMV. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just, it's just such a great way to see the world is to, is to be a writer. Absolutely. And with your book, is, so th- is this your first book that you've written i wrote freaky monday with right, right, sorry. you said that oh, you said worry. that i'm sorry i'm running I on one yeah. i wrote i'm running on a rice cake and a coffee i'm forgetting everything i said and did um so, so with so you've now written in various mediums film stage isn't it, uh, isn't it kind of a legally blondie cover it's kind of like legally blonde meets promising young woman does that make thank sense thank you you're welcome <gasps> my heart i just gave you a compliment yay um you know it's like it's it's sort of like legally blonde through the lens of 
promising young woman uh talk to us about this book for a second uh the trouble with drowning by heather yeah i during covid when everyone still like the world was falling apart and it was um i just started compulsively reading and i read anyway a lot but i was like really reading Hmm. that was my my way to get through and it made me feel like when i was a little girl how i when I first found Judy Bloom and, you know, Little House in the Prairie and, and Nancy Drew, and I just was reading, reading, reading. And I was like, you know what? I want to do this. Like, why don't I try my hand at this? Because I've had this idea for a psychological thriller. I love psychological thrillers. I think they're so much fun. Um, I love Hitchcock. I'm like, a. I have this, people always say she, I'm a very dark blonde. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're a Hitchcock blonde. I well, well yeah. we can always we can only be so lucky. But um I've had this idea, so I just said I'm gonna start writing. And so I read several writing, you know, how to's on on writing by Stephen King, one of my favorite writers. Um then the cat writes a novel. That was really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. And I just because of not doing anything during COVID, I just started writing obsessively this novel. And it was so much fun. It was like, it was actually, it's about mental health and it's about a lot of different things, but it was about mental health, but it's about me trying to hold on to my mental health during COVID. Yeah. I mean, we all can relate to that. And it being a thriller just makes it very exciting. I wish my brain could create the plot of a thriller. I love reading them. And I'm like, how, how do you make all the pieces fit? Because every time I try to think of some intricate plot i confuse myself and so i i think it's just a genre that i can enjoy but it's not necessarily something i can make my brain but maybe that's why my brain loves it so much because i can't crack it myself so i like seeing how other people do it it was a it was a challenge this is a slow burn this isn't like all the bodies are stacking up it's about obsession and Mm -hmm. about mental illness and um it's not you know a slasher or any that kind of thing I love a good slasher. I'm a big fan of Scream, but also something like Rear Window or Vertigo. Are, Rear Window. Rear Window is a. I let's t- let's take this moment to make a public service announcement to all of my listeners out here. Uh, Rear Window is one of the greatest movies ever made. It's, ever made. Ever made. It still slaps. It's my favorite Grace Kelly performance to this day. It is gorgeous to look at, and it is tense like a motherfucker. It is so good that actually might be my one setting one setting one setting it's so theatrical yet so cinematic at the same time and, it, and you um, get to see her clothes mm-hmm. the one oh it's the God. white skirt with the black top that she the has black, that's over the shoulder. and the <sighs> green and the can you want to hear my grace kelly impersonation please do okay i'd say she's doing a lady's most difficult job juggling wolves <laughs> that's very accurate <laughs> Well, she's done, from Philadelphia. Though. She had like her accent was just totally made up. Yeah, I so my Jimmy Stewart impression. I can only do it if I start with Don Knotts and then lower my voice. That so, makes sense. Yeah. So let me find. Yeah. yeah how I got? Let me find the IMDb page for your window so I can find myself a nice line of Jimmy's. Uh, it's just the same. Please, a Fremont who never wears the same dress twice. Same <laughs> dress twice. Oh, wait, wait. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. Uh, okay. We have, okay. 
oh sweetie you are you have a great talent for creating difficult situations okay so i have to start with my don Knotts, which is just family guy these are way too many ostriches the brochure didn't say there'd be nearly this many ostriches this is a terrible vacation and then you get a little bit lower and then now you say um oh sweetie you are you have a great talent for creating difficult situations that's good Thank it's you. So good. It's true. It's Don Not Slower. It is Don Not Slower. It's not as good as your Grace Kelly, but I also have been a little out of practice. But that's always that's my. No, that was process. good. Thank that you. That was good. Thank you, Jimmy Stewart. Have- I I mean, I have a dog named Zuzu because because uh, she was born on Christmas Eve, and I watch It's a Wonderful Life every year. It's yeah, a wonderful every- life. It, before my dad went off his antidepressants, talking about that movie was one of the few things that could make him cry. Now everything makes him cry, but. I remember being a teenager and he's telling me about the movie and he's talking about the last scene and he starts to cry. And I was like, this is a situation I haven't seen before. <laughs> Daddy is crying. Uh, over a movie. Over a movie. Who would ever do that? What movies can you see no matter how many times they still make you cry? That one. That one. Mm-hmm. Terms of Endearment. Uh, Cinema Paradiso. Um, there's so many things that make me cry. I mean, it's, E.T. Oh, yeah. Um, E.T. might be one of the only movies for me that is primarily a cast of children that I actually love. Because I don't love child actors very much. No, they're because they're actually kids. Mm-hmm. There's like a sadness to them. Yeah. And a, a sadness. Dad's in Mexico them. and with the, you know, there's like there's there's an earnestness to it. Yeah. Well, and because and they're not just being cutesy. Uh, no. You know. Kids can be adorable, but there's also uh, a messiness to them. I don't know. I think you and I both just like the mess. That's what that's like what gets to us. Yeah, we like the mess. We like it when Shirley MacLaine yells at the hospital staff to give her daughter the shot, as well she should. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, that movie, I could quote it all day long. It's perfect. It is a phenomenal film. Have you read um, Yellow Face? I have not. It is so good it is such a great it there's a lot of elements in this book that's in my book a little Mm -hmm. bit about obsession and um wanting someone else's life and um it's it's unlike it's wild it's great that's all i'm gonna say as a writer you talk about being inspired by reading and 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 whatnot is there do you get more inspired by something that you think is so fantastic that makes you want to write or do you get inspired when you see something that maybe is less than and gives you maybe confidence of like oh i can i can both. i can improve on this let me let me get to the to the computer both both and sometimes things can be so good that it's just intimidating and it's like give up now um yeah. You know, there's several projects that I feel that way about. And that's okay. That's phenomenal. That's may that always be the case. Yeah. Um, that are transcendent, you know, but there's few and far between. That's how I feel about the second season of Fleabag. I have made it a point that I can't watch that unless I have finished something. Because every mm-hmm. time I watch it, I can't write. Um, and I love the first season. The first season is great. But the second season for me was on a level where I'm like, I got to walk away. Priest, right? Yeah. Hmm? With the priest? Oh, yes. Yes. With the priest. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I will say that her work that that to me felt like, oh, how can I? It's yeah. so good that it's it's stupid. 
Yeah. But she's somebody who doesn't, uh, she writes all the time, but she doesn't, you know, produce scripts every other month. She, she yeah. really takes her time and perfects, yeah. which is, I think, uh, another thing to think about as we talk about, you know, art and creative process and comparing and contrasting. Someone makes something that's so amazing. And we, and to our minds, because we're seeing it complete fully in front of us, we go, well, clearly this came down to you from on high and it's, and just perfectly came to your, out of your pen. And it's like, no, she spent a very long time and, um, you know, I've listened to interviews with her and she talks about like ideas that came from the director and writers and, and all yeah. that stuff. Um, was there ever, was there something in Legally Blonde when you guys were in rehearsal that maybe a suggestion came in that made its way into the script that you hadn't thought of? Like from an outside source kind of thing? Yeah, like from an actor or, or something like that. Um. Oh, there were so many. I mean, you know, Broadway is such cross-pollinization. Yeah. Um, and Christian is such a notorious uh, improviser. Yeah. He's so good at coming up with things on the fly. He, yeah. What did he... It was, it kind of, it was, he's so good. I remember I was trying to get a line for the, during ship on my shoulder, but he was drinking the Red Bull. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what is this? My second, my third? I don't know, but I'm, the way he did it, just like out of the, it was just like, and I'm yeah. like struggling, you know, and, you know, his line just immediately went in for the show. <laughs> so. It's wonderful. I also, I remember that scene. That's the, the chip on my shoulder sequence. It's such a, so don't hold me to this because it's been over a year, maybe even two years since I ha- did the episode. But in my memory, we talked a lot about the musical sequencing in Legally Blonde, how you guys, and I think because of your experience as a screenwriter, being unafraid of the montage sequence, which yeah, is... Yeah, well, it was, it was just, we needed to show the sequence of passive of time. Yeah, but we, we have that, we have what you want, and I mean... Uh, other moments where it's just like, you know, things, a lot of things happening in one number. But I remember thinking it was so clever and a great surprising turning point of Elle and Emmett realizing that while Elle is progressing with her studies, the one thing that's actually holding her back is the n- desire to impress Warner. And yeah. again, uh, your writing being so humane it's not that warner comes in intentionally trying to fuck with l's head he's he's living his life and we see how that affects l and it's this sort of last thing she needs to kind of let go and really go for the jugular and it's a great turning point um yeah yeah, yeah. bravo heather well done <laughs> i know you were waiting 16 years for my approval and here yes, finally thank god here it is finally um finally. ben brantley found dead <laughs> such a vulgar person as you can see yeah you're listen i for my listeners who know that i love to have a potty mouth i told heather before we recorded she could curse as much as she wanted and i i I threw a bullshit you threw a bullshit in there but in case miss brantley wants to know she she could have been as vulgar as she wanted to be and she stayed eloquent and classy and i am living in the gutter so when, so, like, when you're out of town in San Francisco, San Francisco, like, you know, it's so hard to know really what it is that you have for so long in theater, right? Because, you know, you're collaborating, you're working, and you can trust your gut and your taste. But after a while, you're sort of so in the forest and you've lived with it for so long. The things that yeah. you once thought were brilliant now seem awful. Things that, you know, you're convinced are brilliant now might bomb. Putting it on stage for the first time in front of an audience in San Francisco 
obviously you have all the nerves, but can you recall watching that first performance and and did you know that it was going to work at some point during that show? Was there a moment where you're like, I think this is going to be okay? The moment I really felt okay, like here's the sign, you know, that I've been looking for. This was actually in New York when there was a family who came in, the dad did not want to be there and they went to a matinee Mm -hmm. and he was like, oh, you know, legally blonde. And I just kept my eye on him the whole Mm -hmm. show. And I could see him getting one over in the first act. And by the, you know, so much better. He was like on his feet, like, this is so great. And I was like, if we can win over a guy like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It was just a really exciting moment. And we were pretty locked. You know, we didn't change massive amounts. There was one version of positive that. Love and war. uh, Yeah. Love and War that um, came and went, but we were really pretty dialed in, you know. Yeah. So mostly, mostly trimming. It seems like between different. Yeah, and, and, and I think Jerry's just such a master at um, pacing. I mean, he yeah. is just master of strapping yourself in to the car, and you are off to the races. Yeah, that was that was a show that constantly moved, which it needed to, considering but how not much in a a breathless like anxious way because no, i've in seen a seamless some shows way. that are like frenetic and like don't have oh, yeah. something like legally blonde and i think a lot of people so maybe didn't realize at the time how good we had it with that show not to cast shade too much on things of the last couple of years heather we're not those people but we are i am no. a little bit i get very angry when i go see a show a musical let's just call it, like it as a musical that is aiming for fun, and I find it to be poorly structured, poorly written, no integrity of character, anything like that. And people go, well, it's just trying to be a good time. And I'm like, so is Barbie. So is Legally Blonde. That didn't stop them from having... That doesn't mean anything, actually. Yeah, I think the wonderful magic trick that musicals in particular can really give is giving you entertainment with some meat hidden in there that you can chew on afterwards, something to talk about and think about after you've had this wonderful euphoric feeling. And there's a, there is a lot of that in legally blonde. And I think it's taken a lot of people some time to catch up to that, but they do know this now. Speaking of which, I don't know if uh, this is something you can speak on, but uh, do you know if maybe any plans for us to experience that show yet again in the city? There's like, talk i mean i think mm-hmm. the time is re- really right um mm-hmm. with the success of barbie and just kind of her parallel twin with l you know um mm-hmm. but there's nothing official obviously. okay uh is there anything in your work with that show that you would maybe like to get another crack at that you haven't yeah we've been yet? updating the script and the music throughout mm-hmm. we just turned it into mdi mti mm-hmm. you know like a lot of the references you know, sure. um, change and and we did have they, there was a Kardashian. There mm-hmm. was a reference to a Kardashian, and I just, I just think those. I wanted to take Kardashian out of it because I, I don't, think I think that was wise. Would you like to uh, write for the stage again? Is that something that is yeah, you know, you know? yeah? I was gonna work on Shucked, and that was a. Mm. Um, I, I think it's all for the best that it should have been the three of them and that was you know Mm -hmm. 
is there a property you'd like to adapt or do you have an idea for a musical in the future you would like to do? Uh, there's a book called Summer at Tiffany that I just adore that mm-hmm. is, um, it's about a true story in the 40s. So be a period piece. Um, I would want to fuse it a little bit with the notebook, um, mm-hmm. but it's about how the first during World War II, it was the first time they allowed women to work on the floor at Tiffany. Mm-hmm. And they had these girls who were, I think they were Kappas at, Arizona, at at Iowa, who went for a summer in New York and they were worked at the floor of Tiffany's to like deliver the jewelry. And they had this like epic, you know, romantic New York summer. I love that. Uh have you ever seen the movie Down with Love with Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor? I love that movie. Yeah? That has not gotten the love that it should have gotten. It really has not. And I part Good of idea. me wants part, yeah, part of me wants to make it into a musical. It is very much an homage to a genre of film, but I think you can turn that into an homage to a genre of musical from the 60s as well while kind of keeping the same storyline. And I think it's such a smart uh retro look back on uh gender politics while yeah. still being fun it's yeah and also i mean i'm a big riri fan i love me some renee uh great it, have you heard anything of anyone doing i don't think enough people know it uh i think it's I us loved and the, it when it came out yeah. you and mcgregor a handful of gays heather that's it oh my god it's such a good movie yeah. and i just love i mean i love doris day and rock hudson i love those yeah talk and pajama game and all that yeah world well because it's sexy and smart and and clever with innuendo because because of the time period there was only so much they could say or do and it was yeah it it it, it's just a fascinating um moment you know where it was all about sex yet Mm -hmm. not at all yeah well because it was more about sort of the titillation of the sex you could have and the power that comes from it rather than just like hourly going about it. And I mean, comedies have gone down this different route now that I don't love. I mean, I read all the time about like, Oh, the Hollywood comedy is dead. It's not dead. We're just sort of in a weird spot with it. And I think we need to look further back than just the Judd Apatow era of, of comedies and look back on times when we were a little more clever with sexuality and and not just flaunting my terrible vocabulary and language yeah well also comedies just don't translate internationally that's true they're very specific like will ferrell just doesn't translate to a chinese audience Mm -hmm. and so that's why they're not putting any money into comedy in terms of writing now do you find yourself uh, do, you, do Are you limiting yourself to any kind of medium or are you just sort of going wherever the wind takes you? Film, theater, literature? Um, you want me to pitch you my new book I'm writing? I'm halfway done. Yes, please. Okay. Because it's got, um, it's also got musical component in it, as does do most of mine. This is a more comedy. This is a little bit more um, than, than Trouble with Drowning. Mm-hmm. Um it's called relationship goals and it's kind of loosely based on my parents who are like the happiest married couple on the planet earth. Mm-hmm. And we always joke that they've like their perfect marriage has emotionally damaged us as kids. <laughs> and um, 
Anyway, so it's a couple and they go to Kona Village in Hawaii to celebrate their 30th wedding anniversary to renew all the vows. And they bring their kids and their grandchildren. And at the resort, they meet the happiest couple on planet Earth and think Martin Short and Jennifer Coolidge. And they're a songwriting married team. Oh, I love that. And so everybody wants to like know their secret and like, it just kind of has, it's this Rorschach test of, you know, where are you at and um, brings out all these kind of sibling rivalries and it's, it's fun. It's really fun. Yeah, no, that, that sounds fun. I'm, I'm very excited to hear that. Um, so now with that in mind, let us go back to the professional route and uh, remind our listeners, Heather, uh, the name of your book, when it comes out and where they can find it. It is called The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk, like Bach with an H, H-A-C-H, and it comes out October 17th, and you can buy it at bookstores, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. You can pre-order it now if you'd like. Um, anywhere there's books, there should it should be there. That's perfect. Uh, where can people find you if you want them to find you? Uh, you uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm Heather Hawk, H-A-C-H. And then my married last name is Hearn, H-E-A-R-N-E. So I'm literally Triple H. I'm, I'm actually like a pro wrestler. Heather Hawk Hearn. I love that. That is a very intimidating. Uh, those are very intimidating initials. A lot of H's. Yeah. Uh, if you want to follow me, everyone, I am on Instagram at Matt Coplick, usual spelling. If you like the podcast, you can give us a nice uh, five-star rating, a little review. Uh, we did get one in the interim between uh, the uh, the big move and this episode. I will give it a quick little shout out now. It's a little too short to do our usual uh, music, but uh, five <laughs> stars. Ha 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 ha. Everyone should listen to this podcast. This podcast is hilarious, literally gets me through the doldrums of modern life. Thanks for making it with three exclamation points. You're very welcome. Heather, we close out every episode in post uh, with a nice Broadway diva to play us out as we as we fade out of our episodes. Do you have a Broadway diva you'd like to play us out today? A song? Yeah. So um, when, when we finish recording, I'm going to uh-huh. insert audio of a Broadway diva singing, uh, the Broadway diva of your choice. So... You could you could be specific about a certain actress singing a certain song as long as that audio is available. Somewhere that's green. I love that song. Do you want Ellen, Ellen Green? Yeah. Ellen Green. I love that choice. I love that choice. Ellen Green is a uh, she's an ally to my personhood. I wanted that song to be sung at my wedding, but it didn't happen. That's because I have a really small wedding and whatever. But that's what I wanted my wedding song to be: is somewhere that's green. Howard Ashman is uh, one of three people I would invite to my dinner party. That you know that question of like, what three celebrities would you invite? He's one of my three. Such a hard question. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a good one. Yeah. Do you know who you would have, or, or do you have one in particular that's always a constant? Uh, I would want to have fun, so I'd probably get someone really like. It's too hard. I mean, there's so many people I'd love. I would love to get wise of like my Angelou. I'm obsessed with. Hmm. Um, Tina Fey. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's already yeah. a really good table. Yeah, that's a really good Dolly Parton. Ah, oh. that's my table. Can I be your server? Okay, great. I'll be your server, and I'll serve. I'll also serve you guys all the drinks. That's like a that's that's a brunch table. I would happily wait Isn't on. That, that's kind of killer. That would be yeah. great. 
Heather, thank, thank you so thank much. Thank you, for, Matt. This was such this. a delight. Really this was fun such a delight. Once again, guys, you can uh, pre-order The Trouble with Drowning anywhere books are available. Uh, it comes out in October. And in the meanwhile, stay tuned for our next series. Oh, yes. I told you guys I was going to announce what it was. The next series is called, <clears throat> drumroll please, Problematic. But it's in quotation marks with a question mark at the end of it. And it is exploring shows that have gone on to get some kind of backlash from the theater community and at one point or another was deemed problematic. Problem. And me like and a that. guest, yeah, me and a guest every episode will explore one of these, one of these shows and figure out if it really deserves the label or not. Uh, we look forward to doing it. There are some shows we already have locked and loaded. Others we're figuring out. Uh, but yeah, that's it for now. Uh, that should be starting up in a few weeks. Uh, thank you for your patience, everybody. And until then, see you next time. Here's Ellen Green. Take us away, Ellen. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.